This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Mike Diaz. Mike Diaz, card number 567, outfielder, catcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Okay, Mike Diaz, and why are we talking about Mike today? On November 1st, I was looking at baseball birthdays, and I saw that Gary Reedus was born that day. But after Gary Reedus, who was traded for Mike Diaz at one point, I saw this other name, and that's Pete Rambo. Whoa. Pete Rambo played in one game in 1926. He was 19 years old. As a batter, he went one for one, making him part of the 1,000 batting average club. He also had no errors in the field, so he was part of the 1,000 fielding percentage club. However, he was a pitcher, and he pitched three and two-thirds innings, giving up six earned runs and two unearned runs as the Cardinals beat the Phillies 23-6. to Pete never played in the majors again. But his name is Pete Rambo, so that's pretty cool. And that reminded me, we've talked about Glenbow, but there was an actual Rambo in the 1988 top set, and that is Mike Diaz, also known as Rambo. Amazing. Mike Diaz had a great poster as Rambo that's remembered by Pirates fans. He had a, a pretty good career in Japan, and he had a, a good heartwarming story helping out at the Children's Hospital has all the makings of a great episode. So let's get to the front of 567. And we've got Mike Diaz. Yeah, I can see some Rambo resemblance right there. He is posing very nicely for the camera at at J. Baller Memorial Park somewhere. He's got a bit of a mullet going on. He's got a little party in the back. Also, the angle of this shot, David, makes it look like his hat is very tiny. About to fall right off of his head. Either that or just has a giant forehead. And then with all that hair in the back, it kind of makes him look enormous. He's got big hands gripping the bat. He's got the wristband. He's got big forearms, big biceps. Just looks like a big dude. He's got a ripped t-shirt underneath his warm-up jersey here. The number 14 is visible on his wristbands. No Mims bands for Mike, so we don't Mm. get to see a Mike Diaz face. But you can also see the number 14, I think, written on the brim of his cap, just so that he remembers that that one's his. There's something weird about this field. Is everything behind him tilted? It all looks slightly off kilter. Yeah, the angle is slightly strange here. It is definitely looking up at his face, but at an angle somewhat. So, you know, the trees and the posts in the back, you can make out that it's at a baseball field. But there is something a little off about it. Like you can't tell exactly where in the park you're at. The posts are not parallel to the frame of the card. It makes them look slightly off kilter. I think it's just the strength of Mike Diaz that it frightened them. It's the gravitational pull of that bat that just looks enormous right there. He looks like a, a little bit like a young Sly Stallone. Not as chiseled of a look as Sly Stallone. Agreed. Also have a uh, a smidge of a unibrow going on. It's a uh, facial feature that was a prominent part of my life for a long time. We should also point out he has a a prominent patch on his sleeve. This is a centennial marker for the Pittsburgh Pirates, 1887 to 1987. That's either a pirate or it's the Zoltar fortune-telling robot from the movie Big. 
could very well be a Zoltar. I, I'm zoomed in to the full 10x perspective on the Jumbotron. It's very hard to make out. I've always liked the older Bucko rather than this new Bucko on this patch. This guy I barely even recognize. I would have preferred the old Bucko. The, the one with the earring who looked definitely looked drunk, had the bandana that had, had holes in it. This pirate, however, looks like he will grant your wish. But you know what? <laughs> Things aren't going to go quite like you planned. You're probably going to play the foot piano at the FAO Schwartz one day. It's going to be amazing. You will kiss a girl, but you will miss your old life. Let's go to the back of 567. We've got Mike Diaz, height 6'2", weight 220, right-handed batter and thrower, drafted by the Cubs in the 30th round of 1978. Born April 15th, 1960, San Francisco, California, with a home in Pacifica, California. Mike was born in San Francisco, grew up in Pacifica, which is a city incorporated only in 1957, so just a few years before Mike was born, as a combination of nine separate unincorporated communities in the beaches, hills, and valleys south of the Bay Area in San Mateo County. A population around 20,000 in 1960 from that initial conglomeration of communities, now up closer to 40,000 right along the coast. Mike went to Terra Nova High School. Keith Hernandez also went to Terra Nova, but only as a freshman. He then transferred to Cappuccino High in nearby San Bruno. Other alumni of Terra Nova include Rob Schneider, best known for making copies, and pitchers Bob Don't Call Me Troy McClure. You might remember him from such sets as 1988 Tops. And later, <laughs> Greg Reynolds, who was a first-round draft pick for the Rockies. Also, the late Mike Lockwood, better known as Crash Holly or Crash in WWE wrestling. Mike was a 30th round pick. He wasn't necessarily the hottest prospect, but some scout must have showed up at least once. He was picked by the Cubs with the 685th overall pick out of 779. Normally, this would be where we say, so he decided to go to college. Mike also played football and had an opportunity to play at Weber State, but instead he decided to sign for the Cubs and try playing baseball. So the Cubs sent him to the Gulf Coast for Rookie League. He hit 279. And Mike's brother told the story. He got a call from Mike, and he said, I'm not even playing. And a couple days later, a call came, and Mike said he was playing. And I asked him what happened. Mike said our catcher went down, and the manager asked if anybody knew how to catch. I volunteered. After the game, as the story goes, Mike's manager comes up to him and said, you're full of crap. You've never caught a game in your life. It was the truth. Mike had been a first baseman in high school, so he played 17 games that year at catcher and some in the outfield and moved up to low A ball in Geneva, New York the next year. At low A, he was decent behind the plate, made only seven errors in 60 games, at the plate, he hit 312 with seven home runs in 63 games, makes another step up to the Quad Cities, continues his good run at the plate, 293, eight homers, spends 1981 and 82 at Double A Midland, where again, pretty good at the plate, 264, 10 homers in 1981, 289 with 22 home runs in 1982. And that team had a young Joe Carter, Carmelo Martinez, Henry Cotto, guys who we're going to discuss in future episodes. But at the big league level, 
the Cubs had Jody Davis behind the plate. So Mike's long-term path here to the majors is, is pretty well blocked with Jody Davis there. He keeps plugging away, though. 1983, he started at Iowa, and he did impress in an exhibition game in May against the big league club. The Iowa Oaks won 7-5, to and Mike hit a, a game-winning two-run homer. It was the third year in the row that the AAA club beat the major league club. In 83, Mike hit 324 with 15 homers in 74 games, and he earned a late-season call-up. You can see the line on the card. He's got six games for the Cubs, going two for seven in those six games. But again, Jody Davis is firmly entrenched, so 1984, Mike really wasn't going to get any playing time. Luckily for him, he was included in a trade that would help the Cubs win their division. Mike and reliever Bill Campbell are sent to the Phillies in exchange for Gary Matthews, Bobby Dernier, and past guest Jeff Snyder's car namesake, Porphy Altamirano. Matthews and Dernier end up making up two-thirds of the Cubs outfield, playing really well in 1984. The Cubs made some really smart trades that season. Mike goes to Portland, Phillies AAA affiliate, and he's pretty good. On his future Phillies card, it says his hobbies were golf and windsurfing. But at this point, I feel like we've talked about Phillies catchers on half of our episodes. They had <laughs> Ozzy Virgil, Bo Diaz on the big league club. At AAA, they had Spanky Lavalier, Darren Dalton, and now Mike Diaz adding into the mix. And also they have John Russell, who was another major league catcher. Some of these guys, they, they have them playing in the outfield. They have Mike playing first base. He ends up catching 52 games, and not surprisingly, a team full of catchers playing every position and Steve Jeltz playing where they aren't. They went 62 and 78 under Lee Elia. Oof. Diaz started 1985 in Portland, but in April, the Phillies got smart and traded away one of their catchers, and the 25-year-old Diaz was traded to Pittsburgh for... Another catcher, a triple A catcher who's slightly older, Steve Hertz. What? What is why would they do that? I have no idea, unless they were just trying to pick up a triple A catcher who didn't necessarily have a, a major league future. I, I don't know what they were doing here. Hertz was out of baseball after 1985. Doesn't make any sense. I couldn't find any explanation for this. Well, I'll tell you what, Mike makes the most out of this trade. He got to play in Hawaii. He was a Pacific Coast League all-star. He hit 312, 22 home runs, 85 RBIs, and he also got a nickname from one of his AAA teammates that's about the best nickname we've heard on here. He said, when I came to the Pirates, pitcher Bobby Walk, and those guys looked at me and said, that's Rambo, 100%. You know, he looks like Rambo. That was right around the time, I think, Rambo 2 First Blood 2 came out. Maybe a shocking admission here. I've never seen any Rambo movie. I've seen at least two Rocky movies, but never a Rambo. But he did, you know, he's got this mullet going on. When he was on the Phillies, he should have been Rocky. That, that would be a good one, too. But Rambo is excellent. Rambo and future pirate Glenbow. It all goes together. Coming out of spring training 1986, Diaz is with the Pirates in the majors. The Pirates had Tony Pena and Junior Ortiz, so Diaz only played one inning behind the plate, but he hit 268 with 12 homers and a 120 OPS on the season. 
That 12 home runs was second in the National League among rookies behind Barry Bonds, 16. Although in the American League, there were lots of guys tearing it up. Seven American League rookies that had more than 12 home runs. But it's still impressive for his first full season. He had 209 at-bats, which means a homer every 17 at-bats. He also hit some pretty big home runs, some long home runs and showed his power, including one in August against the Cubs. I have to thank at 1992 Pirates, a Twitter account dedicated to the 1986 to 92 Pirates. I reached out and said, what do you got on Mike Diaz? Diaz started today because the left-hander Moyer was pitching. And he singled in a run in the first, but now he's facing a right-hander. He seldom bats against them. He used to be with the Cubs. Oh, look out! Holy cow! No doubt about it! Out onto the street! A kid on the other side of the street is... Look how happy he is! That says one way, he hit it in the wrong direction, against the one-way sign. Is he a happy young man? Did he ever cream that ball? As soon as it exploded off the bat, that's a seven-run inning for the Pirates. Seventh home run, RBIs 16, 17, and 18, and Mike Diaz, who can swing the bat, shows George Fraser what he can do here. That one was crushed. That was a huge blast, and <laughs> Harry was very excited. He was so excited, I think he forgot what team it was for. It was a big home was... run. Of Mike's 97 games, 40 of them were pinch hit appearances, and he was really good as a pinch hitter, 11 for 33, a 940 OPS. And so he was a valuable right-handed bat off the bench. He became a fan favorite thanks to his power and a confident swagger. And that Rambo name stuck with him during this time. When he would come up, the scoreboard would light up Rambo. The PA would play machine gun blasts. And there's an article in The Athletic about Mike Diaz's enduring legacy by Rob Beertemple. Going into the 1987 season, Peter Diana, who was the team photographer, and Mike had an idea. Diaz often visited the children's hospital. He's a regular there, and he really liked to hang out with the kids. He'd make multiple visits and call the kids who he had visited when he's back home in California during the offseason. Mike tries to line up a collaboration with Sylvester Stallone to benefit the hospital, but it didn't work out. So instead, they decide to do a Rambo photo shoot at the Pirates Spring Training Facility. They take all these scuffed baseball bats and old baseballs, and they fashion the bats into a machine gun. They have the balls strung together like ammunition around Mike. They smear him with dirt, wrap a yellow cloth around his head. They said that the shoot was like a low-budget movie. And from the picture, you could definitely see that. Mike's showing off his guns. He had won baseball's arm wrestling tournament in the offseason, and according to one article, he won that four straight years. I found a picture of him defeating Ron Gant in the 1990 tournament. So Mike's, you know, showing off the guns, literally and figuratively, and they make this poster, this Rambo poster with Mike Diaz, one of the most unlikely characters in this set to have his own poster. 
<laughs> and Matt, I've got a picture here of Jim Leland in his office. The vibes from this Jim Leland photo are off the charts. I, I mean, there are so many artifacts that mean so much to me in this. You've got the the Gatorade cup. He's got like a styrofoam plate of some eggs and maybe a... Like Something a, brown. Maybe like a little bit of a Salisbury steak and some corn. Yeah, the dot matrix printout of attitude, determination... All you see is attitude and determ. They didn't you know pull the squiggles off the side, though. <laughs> they left the... attitude, <laughs> determination. Yeah, they they left the hole punch off the the perforated hole punch off the side. You've got an ashtray robot, is what you've got here. This ashtray robot, his legs and arms are made out of bottle caps that have been glued together. His body is he's got a can of Iron City beer. In what is obviously like a full iron can. That is not an aluminum can. That is, this is an old school can. And then it's made out of lead. He's got, <laughs> yeah, it is made of lead. Then his his robot head has got some uh, googly eyes. Ashtray hat, he's got pop top for ears. Oh, so not only does he have a Marlboro, another Marlboro ashtray, there's also a crushed pack of Marlboros here that he had just huffed through. <laughs> Yeah, he's got the uh, an empty VHS tape box and what looks like maybe a, a book, an inbox. I would love to know what Jim Leland's personal productivity system was for the 1987 Pirates. It was Marlboro. The only two player pictures, though, on the wall are both yeah, backup two- catchers. <laughs> You've got Junior Ortiz, I think, <laughs> and Rambo, and both of them are signed. If anyone can, you know, zoom and enhance this Rambo poster to figure out what is written on here, it's amazing. I would really love to know. I would really love to know. So from what we can tell, it's really hard to zoom in close enough to see what's going on in this poster. But he's fashioned a couple baseball bats together to look like a machine gun and then a chain of baseballs. As opposed to Glenbo, who had baseballs kind of as grenades yes this rambo has got a full chain of 20 to 25 baseballs attached together to make a string of machine gun bullets wrapped around his shirtless body wrapped against both arms he's got a bandana he's got the the pirate's white uniform pants and pulled up very high very high He's got the stirrups and the normal shoes, and he's got it made out so that he's screaming in a bloodlust. Yes. It's an amazing poster. Firing baseballs onto Waveland Avenue. And then next to him, you have smiling Junior Ortiz. (laughs) Junior Ortiz in a a black and white... In a headshot that you would leave at the hot dog stand that says, like, (laughs) I visited the hot dog stand. (laughs) And he has this. There's a lot of writing on that on the autograph, which probably did say, "Thanks, Permani brothers, you're the best." I think it tells us a lot about Jim Leland that these are the two players that he had up. These are just scrappy guys. They're role players, and they're, I think, just <laughs> the kind of guys that fans like. And it's it's pretty great that Mike Diaz had a poster. He says that it was a hit and they sold 30,000 copies of the poster. And, oh, yeah. You know, the only I fan that matters, it. though, is Jim Leland. 
Yeah, another reminder too that Jim Leland is in his in his mid forties, I think, in this photo. And <laughs> Just gonna like sadly look to see like is Jim Leland younger than I am? Yeah, he might picture? be. No, he's like the picture. same age. He's like my he age in this be. picture. And you know, you would expect this kind of hard hitting journalism from the Athletic to dig into the the photo shoot for the Mike Diaz poster. That's amazing. Incredible work. Incredible work they do. On the field in 1987, Diaz was, again, mostly a backup. He appeared in 103 games, 37 of them as a pinch hitter. And he finished eighth in the National League in sacrifice flies. That's it. Actually, a pretty good stat. He hit only 241, but he had a 113 OPS plus because he still had impressive power. 16 home runs and only 241 at-bats, which is one homer every 15 at-bats. If he had had enough at-bats to qualify, that would have been good enough for seventh in the National League. And up until 1987, that was the sixth most home runs for a for a player in either the American League or National League with under 250 at-bats. And since then, yeah, 24 other players have hit more, but it was still like a pretty impressive limited amount of time home run total. Mike thought that he could be successful if given 500 at-bats, but he was mostly relegated to batting against lefties. The Pirates had a lot of left-handed hitters at this point, Barry Bonds, Van Slyke, Spanky, Sid Bream, So having Diaz on the bench served to scare opposing teams from bringing in a lefty reliever. So Leland would tell him, pick up the bat, put your helmet on, and just walk around. Diaz would say, am I going to go into pinch hit? And Leland would just shake his head no. So he was sometimes (laughs) used as a decoy. And that's an intangible and valuable skill to have, I guess. It keeps a lefty in the bullpen. In the offseason, Diaz talked to... A local paper about his experience in spring training. Thanks again to 1992 Pirates for this article. In that offseason, Mike negotiated a raise from 90000 to 172000 He felt that he was one of the best pinch hitters in baseball, and he was also flexible to play wherever they asked him to play. He said it was a difficult negotiation, but he was happy that it was behind him. He was going to be arbitration eligible after the next season, and he just wanted to try to win a full-time job and show the Pirates what he could do. But in that same article, he talks about injuring his thumb. And he's a little bit disappointed because he had to leave a game early and he wasn't able to sign autographs. But then the team doctor tells him, not too serious, no big deal. And so we're reading this article that's like a day-by-day of Mike Diaz. And you're looking at it and you're reading like, you know, he injured his thumb, no big deal. He's a little disappointed. He's going to be back. Well, it turns out it was a broken thumb. Mm. And that article ended before they had determined that. So you're reading this really sad story of a guy who's like ready to go. And then it turns out that this injury that didn't look too serious ends up missing the first 27 games, loses out on his chance to compete for the starting job at first base. And through August, he's only started 16 games, hitting 230 with no home runs. Yeah, a real setback. In August of 1988, the Pirates trade Diaz to the White Sox for Gary Reedus. Another trade that turns out pretty well for the team that got rid of Mike. He finished out the year with the White Sox, hitting 237 with three home runs in 40 games. 
But the Pirates continued their upswing that would lead them to division titles later on. In 1989, well, Mike had a 1989 Topps card as a White Sox player, but he never played for them. Before the 89 season even started, the Sox released Mike, and he signed with the Lote Orions. And this was prior to the Chiba Lote Marines era, prior to the Nazo no Sakana era. We, have, we haven't talked about this other mascot of the Chiba Lote Marines, who's named Cool. And maybe this will become a recurring segment where we visit mascots.fandom.com. This one is Cool Coon. Cool Coon was a penguin mascot for the Chibalote Marines. He is known for being stuck up and rude at times, and also being known to burst into tears or show great emotion when the time is right. The time is always right to burst into tears and show great emotion. <laughs> He's well known for his acrobatic routine, often challenging Duala or BB to somersault contests at rival games. He and Marcoon do not get along very well, even though they are friends. I think Cool Coon looks pretty cool. He does look really cool. He has very cool sunglasses, wraparound shades. Also, the oversized black jersey and gray pants. He looks very casual. He's like the Guy Fieri of MPB mascots. I don't know that penguins have hair, but his head feathers kind of are feathered back like a Guy Fieri kind of haircut. He was retired in 2016 to make way for Nasano Sakana. And I think really a good precursor for the Mystery Fish era. Very, very cool. It's all in the name. Uh, just a lot of personality. In the same way that Cool Coon made his mark on the NPB, Mike Diaz made his mark as well. Mashing the ball, hitting 301, 39 home runs, and 105 RBIs in his first season. He made the 1989 NPB All-Star Game. And then 1990, still great. 311, 33 homers, 101 RBIs, OPS over 1,000. Like, every week, David, we've got another guy who goes to Japan and just lights it up. This is three of the last four weeks. I think George Hendrick was the only player in the last month who has not destroyed <laughs> Japanese pitching. Mike Diaz became the first foreign player to catch a game in MPB in 12 years. He caught a game for the legendary pitcher Choji Murata, and Murata won 215 games in his NPB career and is in the Japanese Baseball Hall of Fame, but he didn't like to get pitches called for him. He was afraid that batters would steal signs. Well, Diaz didn't know how to deal with this, and he told Murata, like, I have to at least know what's coming to me, and Diaz told him, I'm going to leave the field if you don't at least shake off my signals. Murata reluctantly agrees to accept his signs and give some indication of what pitch he's about to throw, and he threw a one-hitter. Diaz played two more seasons. He ends up missing significant time, only playing 92 games in 1991 and 92 combined, and he hit only 184 in his final season in MPB. He was allowed to play every position in one game that year, and so he appreciated his time in Japan. According to Mike's brother, this is a perhaps apocryphal story. He said, My sister had a girlfriend who wrote screenplays in New York. She wrote a play about Mike's life in Japan that turned into a movie called Mr. Baseball, starring actor Tom Selleck. That movie was Mike's life in Japan. I don't know that that's true. I found no other confirmation <laughs> of that. 
But Mike's brother said that in a, at an award ceremony talking about Mike's life in the Pacifica area. Overall, Mike enjoyed his time in Japan. He said it was one of the best baseball places. So committed, so much tradition. And I made more money than I ever dreamed of. So good job for him. He came back to the States. He thought about a comeback. But at this point, he's had 12 knee surgeries and said it was time to call it a career. So closing the book on Mike Diaz, four seasons in the major leagues with 293 games played and 683 at-bats, but 31 home runs, a two forty seven average and 102 RBIs. In four seasons in the NPB, 350 games and 93 home runs, a two eighty one average, 264 RBIs, and an all-star team appearance. And for friend of the show, Mark Simon, who did Mike love to face? Off of John Tudor in 25 plate appearances, he was 9 for 20, a 450 average with four home runs, the most off of any pitcher he had faced. How about in retirement? He ended up in coaching, and he's coached at all levels, everything from Little League up to private lessons and team coaching. In 2008, he was back at Terranova High School, his alma mater. He had two good seasons coaching the Terranova baseball team, and then he took a job with Major League Baseball. I couldn't figure out what job he took with MLB, but after a few years, he moves back to Hawaii, where he had fallen in love with Hawaii when he played there in the minors, and he currently lives on Maui and has a facility called Hitter's Paradise, and he gives private lessons, coaching, and, uh, and hitting lessons to young people. All right, so a pretty interesting guy. I did not remember him from his short time on the Pirates, although if if I were older at the time, I probably would have remembered someone called Rambo, but I think I was a little too young to even know much about Rambo at that point. But now after looking into him a little bit more, what do we think of him? Likewise, I don't recall him playing for the White Sox. I think I remember seeing his baseball card in 1989, but then because he didn't play for the team... It was never a thing that I went back to. Pirates fans remember him fondly for his short time in Pittsburgh. A certain subset of Pirates fans, at least, who have seen that Rambo poster. How could you forget it? And what's not to love about a 30th round pick who makes it, is willing to play anywhere, infield, outfield, catcher? In 2013, there was a card of Mike from a Japanese baseball set where he was called, quote, legendary foreigner. We should all be so lucky. (laughs) And Mike's now doing what he loves in Hawaii. He said he isn't so Rambo-esque anymore. He has a shaved head and says, quote, I forgot to work out six hours a day and it caught up to me. But he's still helping kids and still involved in baseball. And I found a really lovely story about Mike and his time visiting the Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh. When he visited the Children's Hospital... He met a child named Brian Averso, and Brian was in the hospital with a brain tumor. And at first, Brian's a little bit nervous talking to Mike. He's a big Pirates fan, but Mike's this huge guy, and it's a little bit intimidating. But Mike makes multiple visits. He'd call and he'd check on Brian. He'd deliver autographed baseballs, got to know the family, and Brian becomes his little buddy. He would run up and hug Mike when he came to visit. His mother appreciated Mike's sincerity and the friendship there was heartwarming. And sadly, there's a follow-up to that story in 1988 where Brian passes away from cancer. 
Mike and teammate R.J. Reynolds were pallbearers at Brian's funeral. Brian was buried in Mike Diaz's wristbands and a suit that Mike got for him, and Mike spoke at the funeral. R.J. Reynolds said that the two had made an agreement when they started volunteering at the children's hospital that they would be there for one another. R.J. said, today he was down and he needed me. And I think that that incident says a lot about Mike the person. He wasn't a superstar, but he made a good amount of money, and he really wanted to give back. Of course, that poster is kind of ridiculous, and we joke around about it, but it was all like so from the heart and so sincere. And Mike just strikes me as a really sincere guy who really wanted to help. There's stories about him going back home in the off-season, calling kids at the children's hospital, checking in on them, and telling the Pirates uh, community relations folks, giving them ideas about how players can better engage with the community and better engage with charities. And he just seems like a really nice guy and a really normal person who worked hard and played pretty well. And now it seems like he's kind of living his best life, living in Maui, coaching kids. And I think that this this silly Rambo poster is a really great story and a really great display of Mike the person, willing to be a little bit silly, but for a good cause. That story at the end is is great to see of him giving of himself and connecting with people and with kids in that way. And so great to learn about him. So thank you very much, David, for that story. And thank you to you at home. If you've ever found some memorable quotes from the movie Rambo, please send them to us because I can't find any. Just send them to us on Twitter. We're at Tops1988. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.